0: Would you turn in the scriptures with me to 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5. We're considering what it was that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and descended into hell, as we confessed in the Apostles' Creed. And our death, and the comfort that we have in the face of death. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, begin reading at verse 16, and then we read through the entirety of chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 4 at verse 16, let's give our attention to the God-breathed scriptures. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, eagerly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven, If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge this that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We end the reading of God's word there. I invite you to take out the forms and prayers book in front of you, the smaller book, and to turn to page 217. Page 217. And so we come at page 217 into the Heidelberg Catechism, which is simply a summary of the Bible's teachings, and here it is explaining the words of the Apostles' Creed and why on the basis of Scripture we recite those words of the Creed. Lord's Day 16, question 40 he says, why did Christ have to suffer death? And the answer is because God's justice and truth require it. Nothing else could pay for our sins except the death of the Son of God. Then the question, why was he buried? And we answer that his burial testifies that he really died. And then this intriguing question, 42. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? And we confess that our death is not a payment for our sins, but only a dying to sins and an entering into eternal life. Question 43, what further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? This is the further benefit, that by his power, old man is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule us, but that instead we may offer ourselves as a sacrifice of thanksgiving to him. And turning the page, one more. Why does the creed add, he descended into hell? Answer, to assure me during attacks of deepest dread and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from hellish anguish and torment. Let's come before God and ask for his blessing. O Lord, we bow before your word, thankful. That the revelation of our Lord Jesus and his saving death is clear. That it is abundant. And that you, by your spirit, give us the conviction of its certainty. Train us, O Lord, in your truth. That we may have comfort, even Lord, at the moment of our death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Congregation of our Lord Jesus, we have passed through a certain date on the calendar a couple of weeks ago, known as October 31. And it's a a day that is celebrated in a couple different ways, right? For some, it's called Halloween, and so yards are decorated, children are decorated, and so forth. And for others, it's remembered as Reformation Day. On October 31, in the year 1517, Martin Luther nailed Uh, Paper to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, statements that he wanted to debate and that became the catalyst for the Great Protestant Reformation. As you think about two different ways to celebrate October 31, you recognize that it's really two different ways of looking at death, isn't it? At least to some degree. I've been trick-or-treating before. But something's happened, hasn't it, in the past couple decades? That Things have remarkably changed that yards now are often filled with decorations that are remarkably bloody and gory. And skeletons are found everywhere. The past month I saw a yard with many skeletons. In fact, two of the skeletons were posed carrying a casket. It's interesting, isn't it? You have to ask, what has happened? What is this all about? Is it just a sign of sheer boredom? A people that are so bored with life they need another reason, to party, or is it something deeper? Is it an attempt to trivialize death? Is it a way of dealing with death that we mock it? We set up gravestones in our front yard and we say, I will not, I will not fear death. Martin Luther feared death. Martin Luther was terrified of death. Not simply physical death, but eternal death. Martin Luther's conscience was was awestruck with, with the gravity of the holiness of God and his righteousness, and this demand of the Holy God that to stand before him you must be righteous. And Martin Luther took up all the prescriptions and procedures that the Roman Catholic Church offered to attain righteousness, and so he he beat his flesh, he, he starved himself, he fasted, he prayed, he worked, he, he struggled. He visited the confessional booth relentlessly. and Never did he have a sense that he was right with God. Always the sense of de- tread, dread and terror that, that I'm a sinner before a holy God and I can't attain righteousness. But then in the study of the book of Romans, Luther came to recognize that the righteousness God demands is the righteousness He gives us in Christ Jesus. It's a gift from God, received by faith alone. And Luther says that when that dawned on him, when he saw this truth, terror fled away and the light flooded in, and it was as if he was born again. I'm righteous. In Christ. I'm free of the tear of death. Brothers and sisters, if Christ doesn't return, we will all die. Every one of us. I'm sure ministers have said that to congregations for many centuries, right? 200 years ago, a minister standing in a pulpit saying to a flock, you will all die. And guess what? He was right. They're all dead. And if Christ doesn't return, then 200 years from now, a minister will be saying it. And we will not be there to hear it. It's the reality of life. This morning, God wants to give us comfort. Comfort for the church and for his people as we face death. In order to have this comfort, we need to be certain concerning three deaths. Number one... A past death, the death of our Lord Jesus. Number two, a certainty about a future death. Your death and my death if Christ doesn't come back first. And then thirdly, thirdly, a present death. That we now are in a state of death. We have died to sin and been made alive in Jesus Christ. Well, let's think about the past death, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died our death. That's what we confessed this morning. Jesus Christ died our death to save us. Death is not simply a natural process, right? I mean, many people want to believe that if you believe in an evolutionary theory and there's no God, then death is just something that happens. It's built into the fabric of, of this world and so forth. But we know better. We know that that death came into this world. We were made to live. Creation was perfect. There was no death. And death came in. Dramatic moment. This morning in Junior High Catechism, we were, our book talked about the fall of Rome in the year A.D. 410. And it was shocking. Rome was considered the eternal city. Centuries and centuries, no one could defeat them. They defeated all their enemies. And then, Rome was taken it was plundered it was destroyed and and refugees fled and they even came down across the Mediterranean to where Augustine was and Hippo and North Africa and and they were all crying out why what does this mean the world is shaking Rome has fallen but you know the fall of Rome is nothing compared to the fall into sin that sent shockwaves right Everything was turned upside down when Adam sinned in the garden. Romans 5 tells us that through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death spread to all men because all sinned. Death is the curse. Death is the the penalty that God inflicts upon a people who have betrayed him. And God's justice and truth requires that death be meted out. Now, what should we do? What should we say? What should we say when we die and we stand before God? Many people seem to envision that they're going to stand before the Lord. And they're going to be quite confident. Because they'll be able to say, you know, I did pretty good. And I certainly didn't do what he did, and I didn't do what she did. Is that going to do it? Are we going to stand before God and say, I have clean hands and a pure heart. I've never lifted up my heart to an idol. I've never spoken an angry word. I've never had a, a selfish thought. I am I'm righteous, God. Are we going to do that? Well, Romans 3 says that every mouth is going to be shut before the Almighty God. Everyone will have to say, I deserve death. But the comfort of the Christian is that the death I deserve was suffered by someone else in my place. The Apostle Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5 that one died for all. He died for all, he says. And so we're confessing here this morning in question and answer 40 of the catechism that Christ suffer death because God's justice and truth require it. Nothing else could pay for our sins except the death of the Son of God. Now we get used to that, rather used to that, right? We hear it in the church, we read it in the Word, but, but there are people who think that this is, this is crazy talk. Dr. Venema, who was standing in this pulpit last week, wrote an article a couple months ago in the Christian Renewal magazine entitled, In My Place Condemned He Stood, contemporary challenges to the doctrine of penal substitution. Penal substitution, that means that Christ was the substitute to suffer the, the penal code, the penalty. And there are those in our world today who insist that this is not a right way to look at the death of Jesus. There are those who, who think, in fact, that it's, it's horrific to speak of God striking his son with a curse. There are those who go so far as to say that God was abusing his own son by making him suffer. Of course, they have no understanding of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Spirit conspired together in this. The Son willingly came that he might have the glory. Jesus died in the place of his people. That's substitutionary atonement. And without his death, then we'd be swallowed up by death. But he did die. And he really died physically, right? We confess this morning he was buried, and that proves he was really dead. He didn't just swoon on the cross or faint or fall into a coma or go to sleep, but he died. Pontius Pilate never let his body be taken down from the cross if he wasn't dead. So Christ came to a point in his life where he breathed no more. He had no more thoughts. He was dead in terms of the body. But didn't he just suffer physical death? He suffered a spiritual death and the eternal death. We confess in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus Christ descended into hell. Descended into hell. What, what, what goes through your mind when you confess that? That our Lord Jesus Christ, conceived by the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, sufferer Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. There are some who believe that after Jesus died on the cross, he went to the place of hell. Some say he went there to set the Old Testament saints free from limbo. Some say he went there to declare his victory. Some would even suggest he went there to preach the gospel, so some could believe now. They wouldn't commend any of those to you. I don't think the scriptures teach those. The Westminster Larger catechism that you have in the back of the songbook there by the Presbyterians, they, they take that language, descended into hell. Well, the older use of that word hell meant the realm of the dead, Hades or Sheol. And so they're saying that, that Christ, for three days, his body lay in the realm of the dead. But the Heidelberg Catechism takes it in a different way. And by the way, this article seems to have been added to the creed later. No one's quite certain what the original author meant. But what we have to do is ask, what does the Bible say? And every Christian would have to agree with what the Heidelberg Catechism says, that on the cross, Jesus suffered hell. Jesus did not go to the place of hell, but hell came to him. That is, the curse of God, the condemnation of God, the wrath of God fell on Jesus. Think of those... Horrific hours on the cross, in particular those three dark hours when, when the sun was shut off, when God turned His face away, when He struck His own Son with the blows of His justice. When every, every tinge of covenant favor and blessing was taken from Him, that Christ was left desolate under God's judgment. Jesus didn't go to a place of hell after he died. No, he said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. He, upon his death, commits his soul into the hands of his father and so forth. But Jesus on the cross, while he was on that cross, he suffered the hell of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out. And he verbalized, didn't he, the the anguish, the the tear of his soul, that he is the one being cast into utter darkness, that he's the one being abandoned by God, that he is the one under the curse and utter blackness. Hell is horrible, isn't it? And yet all those who are outside of Jesus Christ, all those who die outside of Jesus Christ, will suffer an eternal hell will suffer God's unending wrath. To die without the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be the most terrifying thing in the world. But for those who hear the gospel summons, be reconciled to God. The apostle says, God making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. And you say, how can I, a sinner, be reconciled to God? I deserve his wrath. The apostle says, yes, yes, yes. But God made him who knew no sin, the holy, righteous Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin. That is, not to be sinful, but to be the sin bearer. To be the the cursed one, cursed for our sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a gospel. What a glorious gospel. That God gives his own son, that the son comes willingly. He lives a perfect life. He has no sin. He deserves all of God's favor. And instead, he willingly goes to the cross to be counted as the cursed one. To have all of our guilt. Heaped upon him. To have the blows of God's justice. Fall on him in our place. To set us free. So that not an ounce of God's wrath remains. The catechism is very beautiful. Isn't it? When it says. Why, why those words he descended into hell. To assure me. During attacks of deepest dread. And temptation. That Christ, my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul, has delivered me from the anguish of hell. You know, that's true in life, isn't it? But that's also true at the moment of our death. Are the jaws of death, is the great chasm of hell opening its mouth to swallow us up as we breathe our last breath? No, we are to be certain. That Christ suffered hell so that we never will. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has suffered the fullness of death so that we may be at peace. So we need certainty about a past death. And that brings us then secondly, certainty about a future death, our death, if Christ doesn't return. Let's think about that in the second place. So we think about death, our culture obviously is not very good at talking about death. Many refuse to consider it. But as we know, we're all going to die. With or without warning, quickly or slowly, unconsciously or consciously, with no pain or with much pain, we are all going to face that unless Jesus comes first. And we might ask the question as the catechism says, you know, if Jesus died for me, then why do I still have to die? Maybe I told you before about a pastor I heard talking about a little boy who came to him after the service. And he said to the pastor, you you said Jesus died, so we don't have to die. Well, then why did my dad have to die? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Why, when we believe on Jesus, aren't we instantly glorified? Or why, when it's time to leave this world, doesn't God send the fiery horses and chariot like he did for Elijah and sweep us up to heaven? We don't know all the reasons, but we know that God has appointed death for the vast majority of his people, for all of them, except for the ones who are still alive when Christ returns. The rest of us all must go through death. And yet... The Bible assures us that in death we are never alone. But we will be gripped by the hand of our faithful shepherd and guided into God's presence. And 2 Corinthians 5 gives a world of comfort here, doesn't it? It's, it's this, this picture of the future. In the opening five verses, Paul speaks of us wanting to be clothed with an eternal glory, with a, a building from God. Those first five verses receive a, a lot of Debate among commentaries, is he talking about the resurrection body? Or is he talking about what we receive immediately upon death or so forth? John Calvin suggests it's both. He's talking about our eternal glory. It begins uh, uh, immediately upon death and then it's fulfilled at the resurrection. But however you take the first five verses, verses six through eight are familiar to us as, as, as words we read often at funerals now and assure us that the Christian is with the Lord. The apostle says that we are confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. That describes our current state. All of us this morning are at home in the body. We're sitting here. We're not in heaven. We're living by faith and not by sight. But, verse 8, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord Because upon the death of the believer, though our body is carefully laid in the grave, our soul goes to be with the Lord, and faith becomes sight. Those verses talk about what we call the intermediate state, the interim between our death and Christ's return, between our death and the resurrection of the body. Where are those who've died in the Lord? Where are those who've fallen asleep in Jesus? Where are they right now? What are they doing? And the answer is that they're with the Lord with the Lord. And they have a greater communion with the Lord than we do. They have intensified fellowship with Jesus. They have close intimacy. They have this, this mutual enjoyment. They are with their Lord. What does that look like? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us all of that, but it tells us it's wonderful. Greater than we have right now. Paul says in Philippians one, another key passage in this regard. He says that for to me to live right now it's Christ, it's fellowship with Christ, but to die is gain. And then he says, I have this struggle. I want to depart and be with the Lord, but I want to stay here and and minister to you. What shall I choose? I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Philippians one twenty-three. A desire to be, to depart, and be with Christ, which is far better. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so these three passages are quite important in telling us what happens upon death. That the moment we die, we're with the Lord. That our our last breath on earth gives way to our first breath in heaven. That as we close our eyes here below, we open our eyes there above. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the glorious, loving, compassionate, faithful Lord Jesus Christ, our shepherd, who is with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. That's important, isn't it? You know, death is scary. We were not made to die. Death is a defeated enemy, but death is still an enemy. It's not natural for body and soul to be separated. No one looks forward to death. We look forward to being with the Lord, but we don't look forward to dying. But we have this assurance. But upon death, our souls don't become wandering spirits traveling through the universe, homeless and destitute and confused and lost. But upon death, we are still held by our Savior, who's assured us that nothing and no one can snatch us out of his hand. And he's not going to let us go when we close our eyes here below. But our good shepherd will take us home. And so we don't have to tremble at death. I was thinking about this sermon, studying and so forth, and then driving around. That's what preachers do. You know, they read and they study and pray and then they drive around. And as they drive around, they they think. And so... You drive past a preacher and he doesn't notice you. He's probably lost in thought about his sermon. But I was I was driving past a school. I was thinking about this. What will it be like to die? To die? I was driving through the school zone. At just the moment, kids were getting out of school. And it was, it was jam-packed with cars on one side of the school. So everyone had to go very, very slow. And then as I went slowly through the crosswalks, in front of the school, there are all these parents standing there waiting for their little ones. And just as I drove by, the school doors opened and out came little ones. And I watched that first boy come out, looked up, found his dad, went right to him, smiled, got the smile back from his dad and had to get close and bump into him until his dad touched his head or something. And a little girl came out, went right for her mom. That's interesting, isn't it? I bet these little kids, they go to school, I bet they're little anxious each day leave mom and dad go to school what's going to happen but when school's over and they walk out those doors and they spot their parent and they go and they get the smile and they get the touch again what a sigh of relief comforted again sometimes we have the idea that this is comfort and when we die that's scary but it's really the opposite way around. We're living right now in a world of anxiety, aren't we? This is the uncomfortable place. We're in a broken world. We're living by faith. We can't see our God. But at the moment of death, as we spot our Savior, be embraced by His love, we'll sigh of relief, and we'll know all is well. Death itself is ugly. But Christ is our Savior, so we will not see death, but we will see our Lord Jesus Christ. Catechism one it points out, in question 42, some important realities. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Number one, our death is not a payment for our sins. Don't ever think that by your dying that you're atoning for some of your sins, that you're doing something you need to accomplish to get righteous with God. No, as we said, all your righteousness is Christ, given to you freely, credited to your account, and received by faith alone. Your death is not a payment for sin. And even in death, we should be clear, we're not suffering death as Christ suffered death. We're not, when we die, suffering death in its full sense. Death is to be banished from God. Death is to come under the curse. When we die, our fellowship with God remains intact. His love abides upon us. We don't die in the sense of the curse of death. Jesus said, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes, and him who sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Our death is not a payment for sins, it's only a dying to sin. Notice that, secondly there, it's only a dying to sin. You know, we speak sometimes about someone who has battled a disease or something, or Or grown old and and gone through lots of suffering when they die, we say, Well, at last, they're finished at last with all the suffering. Do we ever say, Do we ever comfort someone by saying, They're finished at last with all the sinning? They're finished at last with that battle of sin. But that is part of dying. In dying, we complete our struggle. We enter into rest. And death now has become, then thirdly, the entryway or the passage now into the beginning of eternal glory. In Christ Jesus we say, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord wants you to be comforted as you think about death. The death of our believing loved ones, the death that we may face. Christ has borne the curse and we may eagerly look forward to seeing the smiling face of our Savior. So we need to be certain about a past death. We need to be certain about a future death. Finally this morning, we need to be certain about our present death. Our present death. The Bible says that our sinful natures have been put to death, that we've been crucified with Christ, that we have died to sin in his death. And as one writer says, that doesn't mean then that the fight for holiness is over, but that means that the fight for holiness can now begin. Can now begin. If you're united to Jesus Christ by faith, you're united to his death, and that death was the death to sin for you, that is to say that that you in Christ's death are free from the power and dominion of sin. It doesn't rule you, it doesn't own you. If you're not united to Christ, or before we were united to Christ, we were slaves of sin. We were forced to serve an old master. But united to Christ by faith, the, the chains fall off, the prison doors open. We are free now. And so the battle against the remaining sin in our hearts can begin. Before we didn't care about the sin in our hearts. Now we hate the sin in our hearts. And so we want to struggle against it. The Apostle says in 2 Corinthians 5 that that we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Verse 9, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. And then he says again in verse 15 that Christ died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. This is the further benefit of Christ's death. That the old masters defeated. That sin no longer has dominion over us, before we could not not sin. We could not say no to sin. But now in Christ, we can say no to sin. That's comforting in our trials. Sometimes the desires are so strong. And Paul says in Romans 6, you've been baptized into Christ. You've been baptized into his death. You've been raised in his life. So he says, now count yourselves dead to sin. And so when the temptation comes, and it seems so strong, I really want to say that. You can say no. No. I don't have to say that. I really want to do that. No, I don't have to do that. I really want to feel sorry for myself. No, you don't need to do that. In Jesus Christ, there's grace. And you know, the more that we seek to live a life well-pleasing to Jesus, the more we long for heaven and the more we are assured of it. You know, the more you, you, you seek to live for the Lord to live a life well-pleasing, the more you do battle against your sin, the more you long for that day when I'll be finished with the battle. And the more you live for the Lord, the more you begin to realize that He lives in you, and the more you begin to say, "I don't belong here." You know if I ask you this morning, do you feel like an American? Well, I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> But if we travel to Europe or to Africa or to Asia, then I say, do you feel like an American? Oh, yeah. I don't belong here. I'm different. If you walk in step with the world, you won't have any sense that you belong to a different kingdom. But if you walk in step with the Spirit, then every day you say, I, I belong somewhere else. I belong to someone else. To my Lord Jesus. You say with the Apostle Paul, that the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid out his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did. God commends his own love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we sing, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul. My life, my all. Be certain about Christ's death. If you believe on the Lord Jesus, that was the payment for all of your sin. Be certain about your death. Nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Be certain about your present death. Count yourself dead to sin, alive to God through Christ Jesus, and live for the one who's coming for you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word, for comfort in the midst of death, for a savior who bore death in its ugliest and fullest form so that we could live. Well, God, we pray you'd comfort us. We're uncomfortable, Lord, thinking about our own death. But we thank you that you bring us peace. That we will not be for a moment on our own to find our own passageway. But always held firmly by your loving hand. Brought into your very presence. Father in heaven we pray that you comfort us concerning those we've lost. You've taken many from our congregation over the past years. And many from your people, loved ones who have died. We thank you Lord. Lord for the assurance that all those who've fallen asleep in Jesus are with him in conscious communion, enjoying his peace. We pray bless the supper to us now as we get to taste of these realities through this sign and seal. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.